Coach, welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer, and you saw the title, Winning with Defense and Culture, and I know culture is one of the most overused words within the game of basketball. I get it. But you're going to be hard-pressed to find two words that fit better after you've listened to this episode than defense and culture. And the results speak for themselves. Our guest has been in the state finals, the state semifinals numerous times. It's Jeff Mezzatesta. He's the boys' varsity basketball coach at Carver's Bay. This episode goes beyond basketball. After you listen to this, you're not only going to want to be a better basketball coach, I hope you want to be a better person as you continue, you strive to make a positive impact in the life of youth and the other people that you are around each day. Coach Mez, he does that, he lives that, he breathes that. Before we get to the episode, I do want to let you know there were a couple audio issues throughout. All right, so you hear a little background noise here and there. We recorded on Zoom. It's all good. Enjoy the episode. Before that, a quick word. I'd like to welcome Coach Jeff Mezzatesta from Carver's Bay to the Coach's Edge podcast. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Kramer. You do a great job. It's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to it. And Coach, before we get dig into our episode, can you explain a little bit of your background and your coaching history? Sure. Um, I started, first I was a, the, the son of a varsity coach. So I'd been in a gym. Um, dad would always laugh and say I was born in the gym. But from there, I ended up, you know, graduating. Of course, I played through high school and tried to play in college and realized that a, a 5'10 slow guard is never needed. <laughs> no matter no matter how good you think you are, it, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and that was humbling. But then realized that I loved teaching and I loved coaching and I loved the game. And more importantly, I loved kids and I loved people. And so I was going to be a varsity basketball coach. I'll never forget, thought I was going to get a job at a 3A school in West Virginia where I grew up. Thought I had the end. My dad had played college sports with the athletic director, and I was on my way. I was going to be a varsity coach straight out of West Virginia University, all excited. And then I realized it doesn't work like that. Um, my dad actually, I walked into the job interview, and the AD looked at me, and he was Italian too, Steve, so I was all excited. I was like, man, he's Italian like me. It's all good. And I walked in, and he goes, Jeff, you know why you're here today? I was like, oh, yes, sir. I'm, I'm here for the interview for the varsity position. He goes, yeah, there's no way you're getting that job. <laughs> I was like, oh. And he said, yeah, you'll be coaching seventh grade basketball next year. He said, uh, you're just here today to sort of get your feet wet and learn what the experience is about. And I went home, and I am not lying to you, man. I went off on my pops. I was like, I know you had something to do with that. He said, let me tell you something. I had everything to do with that. I said, well, why'd you let me go to the interview? That was stupid. He's like, how bad do you want to be a coach? And I was like, Dad, I, I want to be a coach bad. Like, I want to do what people say can't be done. And um, he's like, well, what's that? I said, I want to win with teams that other people give up on. I want to, I want to inspire kids that people don't believe in. That, that's all I've ever wanted. He said, oh, okay, well, then you're, you're coaching seventh grade next year. Nobody wants that job. I was like, 
what? He said, yeah, it, nobody wants that job. And I said, all right. So I coached seventh grade and we got lucky, had some great talent, had some great kids. And we ended up winning the seventh grade championship for the first time in the history of the, the school. And the school was hundred years old. <laughs> and then we turned around and they promoted me the next year to eighth grade coach. I was like, man, I, I want to be a varsity coach. <laughs> so make a long story short, I got those same kids in eighth grade and we won again. Um, but we, we started to branch out. Um, where I grew up in West Virginia was about an hour and a half outside of Washington, D.C. And so we were in eighth grade, like they were playing up in parts of Pennsylvania, like St. Maria Goretti, who was nationally ranked, their varsity team was at the time. And we were playing in Northern Virginia and we were playing and we were taking them all over the place long before anybody was really doing this, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm old, I'm pushing 50. So we were doing stuff that a lot of people, um, a lot of people don't, weren't doing back then. Um, and then I became a ninth grade coach where I ended up taking over in West Virginia, you take over a whole program when you do that. You have to run the seventh, eighth, and ninth. And that's one thing I love is I was trained to be a coach. And that's one thing I look back on the whole experience with my dad. Then the next year, I, I was the JV assistant. The next year, I was, a, you know, I finally found the love of my life, my wife, while, at a Myr while in Myrtle Beach working for a summer. Because West Virginia did teach me a couple of things besides school. I, I was able to learn how to wait tables and do some other great stuff to make ends meet as a teacher. And I got to come to Myrtle Beach, and I was lucky enough to find a teaching job here and outside of Myrtle Beach um, in Georgetown County, where I am. And uh, I got to work with a Hall of Fame coach, um, my mentor coach. But, I mean, by the time I finally got all the way up to my first head coaching position, man, I had done all these different things. And I owe a lot of that to my dad because he, he sort of said, if you're going to be good at this, you have to understand all the aspects it takes to be a good coach. And a good coach is not just a Tuesday, Friday, holiday, holiday tournament coach. It has to be somebody that knows all the parts of it. So when I look back on that, it was a long road to get where I was. But I feel like a lot of times today we're not doing that for them. Um, for the younger coaches that are coming along, we're thrusting a lot of kids into a, a position that they think they understand as a varsity coach. And they haven't been given that opportunity because they've done AAU for a little bit, they've done this, and they miss out on the real big aspects of, of coaching, like the community and the, the, the building and the, and the education process itself that's, that's vital to, to teaching the sport we love. But really, that's it's a little bit about me, and now I'm the head coach for the last, what, almost 20 years at Carver's Bay High School, a small little single-A school. We bounce between single-A and double-A um, here in Georgetown, South Carolina. I love the I love the background. I love the backstory for a few reasons. One, so many times in life, we're, we're ready for something and we expect, like, I'm ready for this. We have this expectation. Okay, give it to me. And a lot of times it's a reality check of like, whoa, 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 pump, pump the brakes. We got something else for you over here that you weren't even prepared for, but that's what's actually going to set you up for success later on. Yeah, like, look at your story. Look at your story, like where you came from when you and I finally met each other, and I was able to talk with you. All I mean, no, if you couldn't have scripted your life any better than sort of what happened, but you didn't know that was going to happen. No, of course not, and and that's like even even my coaching story a little bit. Like when I was playing overseas they needed a high school basketball coach for the lower level of the, like I'm playing on the pro team, but that's all like club 
stuff all the way down. So like you get to coach the high coach the high school team as well. And I mean, it was, it was jumping in sink or swim, trying to figure out what I'm doing. And then, you know, so I did that for a couple of years. I come back to the States and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm jumping in and I'm the assistant varsity coach helping out with my high school coach, which was, which was great. But they were like, but you're running the youth basketball program from first grade through sixth grade. And man, that was a challenge, but nothing could have been better for me. And then the next year I coached junior high on top of being the varsity assistant and again, running the youth basketball program. And it's a lot in line with, with your history of there's so much strength in understanding the levels of development going all the way up. And, you know, for anybody that just jumps straight into varsity basketball, even if you do that, it's really important that, that you get down on the various youth levels and try to understand the, the development coming up because that's only going to make you a better coach as you continue to move along. And you've been coaching now uh, at Carver's Bay for a, a long time and, and you're big on building community, building a, a foundation and a connection with the community there. So when you go into a season, who are the people that are essential to you building that strong connection with? Well, when you're, when you're dealing first with public education, you, you know, you're a, you're a coach second. And so the first person that you really have to make sure is on board with you is your administration. And I have been very lucky. Um, <laughs> been at Carver's Bay for what, almost 20 some years, I mean, 20 years. I mean, it's just crazy, but I think I've had like seven principles, <laughs> but I've been lucky for all seven or eight of them because of the simple fact of they see the value of athletics in the student. Um, so first I'd have to say the first thing is you have to build, you have to build an identity and you have to build uh, trust between you and the, the faculty and the administration that's what's important. Um, I know I don't want my boys, because um, I coach boys, I, I don't want, um, I want my boys to have an identity when they walk through the hallways and a standard. And I want people to look at them and realize that, um, you know, I'm not privileged. I'm part of, the, I'm part of the standard that my administration and my teachers have entrusted to me. Um, from there, of course, it's going to be the parents so that they trust me, but you can't always make parents happy. So that, that's just, you know, I, I want my parents to know that I, I care about their kid and I have their, um, their best interest at heart. And then for me, cause now I'm in the South. <laughs> so when, when you're in the South, if, if you don't have the churches and you don't have the preachers, man, I'm telling you, your, your life can be hard. I mean, some of them, but especially in that Southern Baptist, man, they, they sitting in that front row on a Friday night and Tuesday night, and they're bringing it just like they bring it on a Sunday. I'm just keeping it real. And so, um, I mean, they're some of my harshest critics, man. I walk in, we have AME down here in the South, man. I walk in and some of my African Methodist Episcopalian, um, and if you got listeners out in the Midwest and the North, they don't know that, they're going to have to look that up, okay? So, but the bottom line is, when you, when, when you, when you walk into the store, like across the street, because we only got one store, I mean, You've been out here, Steve. You know, all, all we got is one little store across the street. There's no street signs. There's no street lights. I mean, there's black bears and deer crossing the street and everything else like that. But 
man, they're some of my harshest critics because they're looking at me because they played ball and they love ball and it means everything to the community. And that's the fun part about coaching. It fits everything that I want in my life and in my coaching, um, just, just who I am as a coach. It fits all those things because everybody's a stakeholder when you're in a small community like we are. And it's what it's allowed us to, to do that. So like then, like I said, we only have one business. So outlying businesses, when they see the product, now this is where I sort of get off a little bit on a tangent, but you got to bear with me. Like, Go for it. Once, once you really have that idea and the stakeholders are in, you got the stakeholders like in the inside, that, 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 that tight knit group, then people want to know they see the fun and they see the caring and they see the love and they see that then it's infectious, dude. Like people want to be a part of it. So what happens is on the outside, because everybody's seeing this, then businesses that are 20, 30 minutes away from us, they want in that fold. They want to be a part of that brand that you're building. They want to be a part of that excitement. And that's what we find is like through the things that we've done, like we have the largest jamboree in the state of South Carolina. And uh, if y'all don't know what a jamboree is, it's like you play, it's a scrimmage, but you get two quarters of a regular game. And that's how we do things in the South. I didn't know what that was growing up in West Virginia until I moved here. And, um, you know, we have three nights and we pack, um, we're lucky. Our district has, has done a wonderful job. We have a, a beautiful auxiliary gym that's not auxiliary. It's, it's what many people would think is a regular gym. And then we have our gym and we have the middle school gym. So we have three gyms on campus and we pack those for three nights and just basketball matters. So the, the places around us and the schools come from Myrtle Beach and they come from Charleston, South Carolina, and they come from Florence, South Carolina. They come from all over. And it's just this celebration of basketball. And then we have these, um, we, we have a press conference leading up to it and all this other stuff. And it, what happens is everybody looks and they're like, how's this little community of like 340 kids in a school, nine through 12, you know, how do you all do this? It's like, because we believe first and foremost that we are a community that's responsible, not only to ourselves, but to the game that we love, to the people that we love, to the relationships that we want to make. And when you do those things, people want to buy into your product. And that's just, that's what's important. Because when you can sell that kind of passion and that kind of love, people want to be around you. It's the, like, it's the cornerstone of what you do. I mean, nobody can say that you're not passionate about what you do. I mean, it's not like a lot of people are going out trying to do exactly what you're doing. It's just the passion and people want to be around that. And I think it's, it's easy to say when you put first things first, you value the kids, you value the school, you value serving the community. When you, when you keep those values and hold first things first, then the things that are second, third, they automatically begin to fall into place. And then you start to get the support that you're talking about because you said, these are the foundational values that I have. These are the people that I want to serve within our community and our school district. And then exactly as you mentioned, other things start to fall into place because of where you've put your values. And I think that cannot be, that cannot be understated. So as we transition basketball season, hopefully, is coming up soon, coach, right? What's, what's, the, what's the first team meeting like when, when the team gets back together? What's that like? What do you say to your group? 
You know, that, that's the hardest question. Um, that's the hardest question that I think, um, I, you know, you know my community and you know my school. Um, that is such a huge question. I can't imagine in my heart what it's like to be, well, let me say this first. In South Carolina, in basketball, a kid can start playing varsity basketball in the seventh grade. So essentially, a kid could play varsity basketball seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Okay? Happens a lot, you know. It just just happens all over the place. Um, and I, I mean I could go into watching John Morant and watching Zion and watching kids that are, you know, we're in, either in our summer leagues growing, you know, that we have here in this in South in Carver's Bay or you know, going all the way back to watching A.J. Green play and all them, they start very young with basketball here. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because of the simple fact that it's such a loaded question in the fact that those are the things my kids are focusing on right now. I can't imagine. They're, they're worried about, am I going to have a season? But then you got to really get to the, the 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 huge questions that are that are going to um, be plaguing these kids right now. Um, and I can't imagine some of the discussions we're going to have to to look at. It's not going to be just about coaching basketball. It's going to be, like I said, I'm very lucky to to work where I work. But my school is 86% African American. Um, there's going to have to be talks about our society. There's going to have to be talks about what's going on in the world. Um, you know, we've had the kids know that I'm open to listen to them and they'll text if they want to text and we'll talk if they want to talk, but we haven't been that family in that room yet. And you need that bonding experience to really just sort of let the emotions fly. And you just got to get all that out. You gotta, you have to create an atmosphere because first and foremost, you're a teacher. And while while the kids are worried about the big names and the stories like John Morant or the stories like all these things, I know at their core they want to play basketball, but also it's our responsibility as mentors and as leaders in their lives to look at them and say, all right, listen, let's pause for a second and let's look and identify sort of what are you worried about? Well, Coach Mez, you know, I mean, you're gonna have to be ready to deal with conversations like. You know, I lost my aunt and my uncle. They died of COVID in one week, which happened. You're going to have to deal with things like the social injustices that are going around. You're going to have to deal with concepts that before we can even worry about basketball, the, the thing is, like, we go back to the original thing you asked me, the relationships that you build and all that stuff. My kids think I'm fake that I, I can't be the coach they need in their life. And so that first team meeting for us is going to be, where are you, like, right now? Like, where, where are you? How do you feel? What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? How much, you know, how did, how did COVID affect you? How, how do you feel about when we're going to go out in public right now with everything that's going on? How are you... How did you feel about everything that has been transpired? You're going to have to have that conversation to keep it real with them. Because if you don't, 
those dreams that they have to be like those other kids I was talking about that they've seen play in the years that we've had our summer league and stuff like that, these high-level players, most of them that I coach, I mean, we've been lucky. We're, we're working almost 30 scholarships in, in, in the 20-some years I've been here. But the bottom line is that's not what's most vital in that first team meeting. What's most vital is, like, dude, where are you? Like, right now, where are you, and what do you need me to be? I know I don't need to be your dad or your mom. I'm not saying that, but, like, what do you need from me? For, for you to be who you want to be, to get where you want to be as the basketball player you want to be, what, what do you need from me? And I think that's one of the biggest things that's not being asked, Steve. It's, it's all these things that people think they have all these answers. And we have a lot of people who are going around think they have all the answers to stuff. The first thing you got to do is listen. And that's the thing. These kids have been entrusted to us. And we need to listen. Like, where are you, dude? Like, where are you right now? And what do you need from me? That's cool. Like, that's cool. We can stop the podcast right now. Like, I mean, there's, there's so many takeaways within that. And it goes back to one of the very first things you said was I'm a coach second. And I think we can translate that short sentence to mean so many different things. Like one, I'm a coach second, which, which can translate to, it's not about me. It's about you. Right. When it comes to your overall occupation, right most nearly all high school basketball coaches have their their day job they're doing basketball because it's a passion they absolutely love teaching and coaching coaching the game but again when we put ourselves in the right place i think it gives us a chance to the things that are truly important to also find the place that they need they need to be in that's fantastic stuff with your coaching philosophy and what you're all about at Carver's Bay, defense plays a big, big role in what you do with, with your players. So what are some of the individual and team philosophies that you try to bring along with your teams when it comes to playing that pressure defense? Um, our defense sort of took, um, of course, like I said, I went to West Virginia University and I, and I love Bob Huggins. I love his philosophy. I love how he gets his kids to play. Um, I think it's sort of, when I started to evaluate, like we've always pressed and we've always run. I was, talk, I was talking yesterday, we actually, we're working on a Christmas tournament. Um, if we can get to basketball, <laughs> we're working on a Christmas tournament that is a class A showcase. It's all the best class A teams in the state of South Carolina. And I was talking yesterday to one of the schools up in Rock Hill who I just love their coach. And he and I were talking and uh, we were talking about a shot clock. <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm like, you know, they keep talking about a shot clock and we need it. I said, I don't think anybody's ever watched class A and double A basketball in the state of South Carolina. Like, I don't know why they think we need a shot clock. It only takes our kids 15 seconds to get off a shot, like literally. And he started laughing. He goes, you know, man, I never thought of it like that. But, it, but it's so true because the, the style of play let me, let me go backwards to explain this a little bit. If you have, when you, when you live where we live, yes, we're 40 minutes from Myrtle Beach. But see, my kids play football, basketball, baseball, track. They work jobs in the summer. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to do the things that have to be done that people are trying to do today. 
with a personal trainer 24-7 or playing on this specific AAU travel team or all this other stuff. They, they're literally living a life. And basketball is a part of the bigger picture of who they are as a citizen, okay? Now, the reason I'm saying all that stuff is because of the simple fact they're not going to be able – I knew when I took the job over, there wasn't going to be somebody coming in the gym, dude, like you did, coming in and putting up 1,000 shots a day. Or now they'll go down to the court, they'll play, they'll do great. And I'll never forget my first day of practice, my dad was in here. And like I said earlier, dad played football, basketball, and baseball in college. So – and he was pretty good. Um, D2 level, but he was still pretty good. And uh, I'll never forget, he looked at me. I had left another job to take this one, to come back home, because this is this, – this, even though I grew up in West Virginia, this is home. And, I mean, he looked at me the first practice, what have you done? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you really think you're going to win? Like, Jeffrey, they, 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 they can't shoot. They can't pass. And I'm like, Dad, just watch. And about that time, um, I had a kid. He actually became number three in the nation on Mac preps and rebounding the next year. And uh, ended up having a really nice little career in junior college in D2. He's actually now Mr. Georgia uh, bodybuilding and everything. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Like, he'll send me these pictures, and I'm like, Sydney, you're making my – you're making this fat old man feel very insecure right now, okay? You have muscles I didn't know even existed. But the thing is, I said, guys, okay, let's, let's start our fast break drills and let's start our defense. And I'll never forget my dad looked at me and goes, you're going to play for a state championship here. And I said, yeah. I said, see, because, dad, you see the big picture. Too many times you asked me along – you asked me um, – what was the mistake? You, I don't know. You asked me in here when we were talking earlier. and what, You asked me what was the mistakes that, you know, you, I look back on that I made. The biggest mistake is the fact that when you are learning how to be a coach, you think you have to do all these things. And I struggled with this question. I really did because I was like, was it I didn't listen? Was it I didn't do that? But after I've talked this out, that's why I want to say this. There is no mold in basketball. There is none. And the thing is, I think my biggest mistake I made in my career when I was younger was I had to develop a shooter. All of them had to develop a shooter. I had to develop passers. I had to, man, if the kid can't pass, he can't pass. If the kid can't shoot, he can't shoot. I don't care how much he goes in that gym. If he can't shoot, the brother can't shoot. He just can't shoot. And but here's the one thing I believe in my heart, and I know every kid can play defense. And when I sat there and I saw these kids play, and I watched them dive into the fourth row in practice. I mean, dude, we're talking about practice. I'm going to Averson right now. <laughs> they jumped into the fourth row in practice. The tenacity was there. And then I watched him run down the floor and just slam dunk over two people. And I was like, he looked at me because you're going to state championship here. So I don't know if I'm going to state championship, but we're going to play for some. We're going to play for some hardware. He looked at me. and Goes, I have never seen more tenacious kids, and they crave contact. So when I rewind that and ask the question, or you asked me the question about our defensive philosophy, when I rewind that and I look at Huggins's team when he was introducing Press Virginia, and I watch some of the other teams that I grew up with in the in the 80s, like the Arkansas teams. And, and those, those, those just hellacious defenses they would throw at you that just, I mean, you could, I mean, when you went to get a drink of water, people were looking over their shoulders going, who's got me now? 
that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create this mystique of you're going to step off the bus and you're absolutely going to feel like you want to go home. And I got the greatest compliment. One of my, one of my coaches in my region one year looked at me and he stepped into my uh, gym and he looked at me. He does not know he gave me this compliment. I mean, I don't know if he thought he was trying to be funny, but he walked in and he looked at me because it's going to be a long night tonight. And I said, why is that? Because they already got off the bus saying, I hate this place. And I was like, yes, I love it. Because at the end of the day, if I can put that doubt in you, then, then I got you. And I believe that. I don't care how great of a shooter you are. I don't care how great of an offensive threat you are. And if my kids, so when you asked about our defensive philosophy, I just sort of wrote down some things. And this is, it, it's real simple. We want to stop the ball and we want to pressure everything. And we want to force you to align. And by align, I mean, we want to force you to run out of real estate wherever you want to go. We're going to let you go where you want to go. But we want you to go full speed. We want you to go full speed wherever you think you're going to get out of trouble. Because, man, it's just going to be like, what's the Jackson 5? I'll be there. What's going to happen is you're going to go full speed, but somebody else is going to be there. And you better realize that because we got each other facts. Because the one thing we teach is if you hold up your hand, you know, one finger, it can poke you. Two fingers can gouge an eye. Three fingers, they might have some, like, Chinese thing where they paralyze you or something. I don't know. But four, four, I can, I can take your windpipe out and, you know, make you do that. But if I take five and I roll all five of those into a fist, man, I'm going to knock you out. And that is, that's why we call our defense fist, because I need five guys that are willing to be those five fingers, those five, and a thumb, four fingers and a thumb. I know somebody out there is going to be like, you don't have five fingers. But the bottom line is, if I can get that fist mentality, we're coming to knock you out every single time. So how do we do that? We're going to stop the ball. We're not going to allow easy drives. And we're going to pressure everything to a line. And after that, we're going to kill the passing lanes. If you have to pass the ball, you're going to pass the ball backwards. You are not paying. And if we want you to Princeton us, we want you to back cut us. Because my friend will be there. My friend will be there. Because we have this whole mentality of we don't guard one guy. We guard two. We are always guarding two or more guys. And we do a drill every day. Um, if you've ever been to the Nike clinics, they were big about three years ago with these circle drills and outnumbering yourselves. So there'll be three of my guys in a practice. We'll put three guys in the middle, and they're doing a carousel. And I'll put eight guys on offense. And I mean, I'm just going nuts. Like, you can't tell me three can't guard eight. You can't tell me three can't guard eight. And the only rule is there can't be an outside shot until you get to like the 10th pass. Now the 10th pass, and then you better close out. You better make that person uncomfortable and you better box out. And then there better not be another rebound because you better know where the angle's coming. And we better have more on one side than on the other side, because if not, you're lazy. So I don't care if you were on ball side in a deny position, and that ball was shot from a wing position, you better be sprinting away from that man to get to another box out on the other side because that's the angle the ball's probably going to come on. And then we, we emphasize help all over the place. And the big thing about our, emphasi our emphasis on help is the fact that the help can't come from the bottom. And I, can't, I cannot reiterate this enough. This is an old football adage that, that I sort of got from my dad and I got from a lot of other football coaches. Because like I said, I was very lucky that dad played three sports in, in college because when dad, dad showed me how all sports interlace, that, that when you have that interlacing of sports, 
you can actually have your kids playing a multitude of sports because being a defensive back in football is no different than pressing on the back end in basketball. It's, it's totally the same. It's why I love coaching defensive backs in football. But if that helps coming from the bottom, you're already beat because you're giving up. Like in football, it's like if your defensive back makes the tackle, if your free safety is making the tackle, dude, that guy's already gained five yards. So that helped defense while we're denying those passing lanes. You got to be able to deny, deny the passing lane and provide the help. You got to be able to get out of the passing lane, recover. And that when we started doing stuff like this, the kids buying into this, they realized, man, that doesn't matter if I'm number 15 on the bench, Mez is going to have to play me because nobody can play this style of ball with only seven players. So what I found is my numbers increased. Kids wanting to play basketball increased. Hearing kids in the lunchroom saying, well, I'll never make it because I can't shoot. That decreased. What happened was kids were starting to walk up to me saying, I'm going to play for you this year. I was like, what makes you think you're going to play for me? Because I'll take a charge. And man, that got me all. I was like, you'll do what's dirty. You'll do, Coach Mez, I'll do whatever you need me to do to get on that floor. And it gave hope. And what happened was because of that, because of those things, th th there is no laziness in our practice. Kids come to practice, they're kicking each other out because they're like, we can't play at this level. And everybody, and then I'll say this and I'll stop. A lot of people were always like, one of the other things you always hear people talk about is conditioning. And they're, I don't have to line my kids up and run them in a practice. I don't have to, you know, everybody says, why are we so horrible at shooting free throws? And I'm like, because the simple fact of the kids are exhausted. And they're looking at me like, what do you mean? I said, because we always shoot horrible at the beginning of the season. And they're like, guys, I'm getting these kids at the end of football season. Our football team is very good. I mean, we put like five guys in the NFL. So we're very good. We're small, but we're very, we're very blessed with our athletes. But the thing is, I'm like, because they're exhausted because of what I'm asking them to do. But to be honest with you, they weren't that great of shooters to begin with. But what happens is when they're tired, they learn how to become better shooters because they have to overcome the adversity. And but I demand more out of them in practice than I do in a game. So when that happens, the games become simple, the defense becomes simple, and identity is born. And that's sort of really the premise of what we believe. Now, from there, our offense builds. From our defense, we go to our transition offense, our secondary offense. And then we run a traditional dribble, well, non-traditional, a non-traditional um, dribble drive um, that I got from a remarkable high school coach in Iowa that I blended with Kentucky a little bit to make it more user-friendly for high school basketball. And I know that was a lot, but you can take what you want from that. Everything. Oh, that's great. That's great because, I mean, you, you gave us a, a list of the keys that you have to your pressure defense. I want to ask you to explain one thing. You said number two, and correct me if I'm wrong, was yeah. – Pressure to align, what, it, what does that look okay. like for you guys? Okay, so like it depends on if it's full court or half court. So let's talk about full court first. I always tell my kids, if, this kid, if the kid wants to take the right side, if, if while they're trying to break our man-to-man, -man which is double fist, if he wants to take the right side of the floor, let him. He's now established strong side, weak side of media. And then I tell him, let him drive as hard as he wants all the way to that baseline. And then they're like, but Coach Mez, what if he turns – what if he turns me because I got below him too much? I said, well, okay, where's the next line? Well, that line's over there. It's the line on the other side of the bleachers. 
Because you know how you got the four lines on the basketball court? You got the baselines and then you got the sidelines. I don't care where you force them, but he's going to one of those lines. He's not going to the bucket. I don't care where he goes. He has to go to one of those four lines. Now, half court, same thing. Now, I haven't heard it explained like that, but it makes it makes sense. And I can see how that would be effective because you're taking everybody off of their off of their driving line with extreme pressure. And then you, you, you talked about passing. The passing almost has to be when you're pressuring that and you're in the passing lanes and you, and you said the passes, you're inviting them to throw backdoor passes, correct? Oh, all the time. And One, most kids can't throw a backdoor pass. No, That's they, a tough pass. Amen, right. bro. You got it. Yeah. And that is one of the – because now when we play, when we travel, and we do travel a lot. I mean, we've been very blessed. I mean, we we played teams out of, you know, Tennessee. We played teams out of West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky. We played all over. Um, the, when you find some of these upper-level 5A schools in 4A who have a basketball class at the end of their day and stuff like that, You'll find some and – and when you play some of these, like, basketball factories, you know, you're going to find they can make that. And my kids will look at me and go, like, how do I stop that? And it's just so much fun to teach because I'm like, well, where were you? Well, I was out of position. How do you know you were out of position? And see, let, let me say one more thing. Here's one big thing. because And I wrote it down. I just want to find it because it was really important because it sort of goes with what you're saying. Um, oh, man, where was it? It was about it was about making a kid be out of control, because that oh I know what it was. The whole thing we try to teach in practice. Now this goes with my offense. I want my kids to react. I want to make practice so fast, and they get so frustrated. They get so frustrated. They're like, man, I'm like, why are you frustrated? You're going a hundred miles per hour, and you made the wrong read. And they're like, I just. I didn't get to it fast enough. I'm like, guys, this is the whole purpose of what we're trying to do. If we – now, here, I'm going to talk defense first. If I can make – force you to go full speed and react, I'm always going to win because you can't react faster than I'm forcing you. I'm always going to be in control. I mean, because if you – you're always going to have to stop and think to reevaluate offensively where I'm going to take you. There is nobody better at this than Javon Carter. There is no – if you literally watch Javon Carter play, when I would sit there and watch him play, I was like, he literally makes your brain explode because <laughs> you cannot adjust. He is literally playing you at such a level. And so I would show my kids those clips, and I would say, look, and they're like, Coach Messi's relentless. I'm like, what do you mean? So, I wouldn't even know what to do. I said, that's how I want to play. Mm -hmm. And then what happens to our offense, our offense gets better. I was watching clips when we lost the state championship two years ago because, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. I hate myself sometimes. But I was going back to watch clips of the state championship when we lost. And I was watching one of my players and the team we were playing out of Columbia, because um, I won't say their name because he's one of my best friends, but I, I refuse to say his name. But Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> So what happens is they doubled us, and immediately my kid dumped the pass from the short corner to a flashing post who was coming from the backside. And I'm like, I'll never forget, like, at the end of the year, I was like, and the kid was like the third-string center. And I'm like, because we're playing a team where the guy's going to Alabama, another guy's going to 
I mean, they were all D1 scholarships. And I'm going, PJ, how did you know that? He's like, Coach Mezzi vacated the zone. Like, he vacated his, his help to come help on Dijon. So as soon as he did that, I had to go there because it balanced the floor. And I was like, I can't – I mean, the conversations. And I looked at Dijon and I said – um, because it happened just like snap, snap. And, and I'm like, I, I attribute that to how we play defense – and it makes my offense better because the kids have no clue. Like, let me show you what I mean. Remember how, like, when you were in high school and your coach would get mad at you because he's trying to put a new offense in and your defense was not playing enough quote-unquote dummy defense for his unbelievable offense to work? Like, I don't mean your coach, but you understand the kind of concept I'm yeah, talking absolutely. about? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. don't, we don't have that problem. We don't have that problem. Like, we encourage the defense to cheat. Because the opposite read is what you should take. The whole thing we say our defense is making our offense better. We want, oh, oh, so you think we're going to come this way. Okay, then how do you do that? And that's why, like, what you do is so important to us because my kid has to learn how to be a better ball handler to be able to beat that Javon Carter mentality of, I'm going to make you go where I want. And by the time you think about what's going to happen to you, you're already neat. And when you do that and you have that kind of, practice and that kind of tenacity you, the best part is you don't know where your kids are going you, you have no clue what's going to happen in practice and you just sit back and practice and you're like how'd you know to do that well it was open it's common sense coaching has and that's where coaching sort of overrated i mean i just i believe that in my heart coaching's just overrated you teach kids how to play there's so many great things to to unpack there going all the way back to coach getting off the bus and already saying that his players can't stand playing against you. I mean, there's there's something about defense compared to offense where if you're if you're going into a game and that other team is high powered, they got a bunch of three point shooters, they can run and gun. But most teams like, okay, well, I like running and gun and shooting too. So we can trade shots. That's cool with me. But when it's defense, right, you you get a mental advantage literally before the ball has been tossed up in you. And I, I, that can't be understa understated. And your main defense is called fist, which I love because my high school coach had a, had a defense that he put in and it was called panic. And literally he yells panic. And then all five guys on the team are yelling panic. And then the bench guys are yelling panic. And before <laughs> they've actually done anything to make the other team panic, guess what the other team's doing? They're panicking and they're ah, all you know, they might chuck it out of bounds before they've actually been pressured. And it's kind of the same concept with, with fists, like being strong, being tough. I, man, I absolutely, absolutely love that. Um, so you're also teaching your kids how to play offense by actually centering the strategy of your practices around defense. And I can say I witnessed that in person when I came to a practice last year and everything was so defense oriented, but based on that, the kids are learning how to play against that type of pressure. And then you're able to teach, you know, some of the offensive, yeah, you know, what was the decision there? So on it and, and so forth. And so you're, you're really able to put a, a focus of where your bread's being buttered, but still being able to teach the offensive end. I think that's, fan, that's fantastic. And, and let me say this, let me say this. I don't know if the old adage is true, but usually teams who press don't like to be pressed. I'm sure you've heard that. Well, that's because that coach is only focusing on being a defensive coach. 
go back to what, like I told you, you asked me that question about mistakes that I made. The, the thing I'm trying to say is that's the mistake I made. I'll never forget, I sat in two classes. One was a teaching class and one was a coaching clinic. And I sat in the teaching class and I'll never forget the idea of holistic teaching. And the idea was, what is it, what goal do you have in mind at the end? Not the end of the lesson, like what is the big picture? And I sat down and I, I'll never forget, like my wife was even mad. She's like, are you coming to bed tonight? I was like, no, man, I'm on a roll. And I was just like, what is it? And I revamped everything about coaching that I knew. All these little, like when you look up in that night sky and you see all the stars, man, that's not the stars, that's the galaxy. Each star has its place. And so when I started to look at stuff like that and I realized there's a bigger picture I have to get my kids to see. And then I was sitting and I was listening at the Nike clinic one year in Myrtle Beach and I was listening to the ex-coach, um, Kevin Sutton, uh, I believe was his name. He was at, from Monteverde. But now I think he was at Memphis, he's in Memphis or something. I can't remember now where he's at. But he did this whole thing on um, train the brain. And my wife, who's a speech therapist and all this other stuff, her and I talk and I'm always listening. Because I believe that, you know how those, that old adage is basketball is life? I really think you got to pause. You can't be just a, a bat, one of those guys that's like, basketball is life. It's, it, it's bigger than that. It's like, you got to really listen to sort of what, what the universe is saying to you. <laughs> because when you can take these things and put them in, and I'll never forget, um, when I was talking, the idea of training your brain, my whole different, that's why this whole concept of the offense defense thing came up. It's like, so let me get this right. If I take a tennis ball with my right and left hand and I can over, over exude, you know, sort of like how we pat our head and rub our belly. If I can over exude that, put myself under pressure, make myself uncomfortable where I'm going to make a mistake 24 seven, that essentially is going to overtake my coordination. And I'm going to be able to train my brain to react in that panic state. Um, which is like what your coach was telling you, that idea of panic, and then they panic. But if then you start looking at like the military and stuff like that, they don't train in a quiet surrounding. They're, they're creating that panic to train the brain for when that panic ensues. And when I started looking at that, I was like, I want to force the mess up. I want to practice that looks horrible. I want to practice that somebody would walk into and be like, oh my God, you actually paid this guy to coach? I can't believe it. Like, this is ridiculous. Anybody could do this. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's a nut. He's making his kids throw the ball up into the air. Like, it's because, and then I realized I was on to something because Shaka Smart made it as far as he went when he was doing that crazy stuff he was doing, like with the Navy SEALs and everything else he was doing. I was like, oh, I'm not a moron. Like, I get it. Okay. And that just sort of, you're on it. I mean, you're right on what I'm trying to get. And it made me a better offensive coach because I was seeing stuff I didn't know. I was like, I'll set a pick here and then come off. It's like, no, no, react to that. And then you could have done this, this, and this. Oh, Coach Mez, next time that happens. Well, that's probably not going to happen next time. And then the kids aren't getting as mad. They're just sort of sitting back going, but I got to look for that. Yeah. But man, Coach Mez, what if it happens too fast and I can't see it? Well, then you stink, and you're going to have to get better at it. <laughs> it's that simple. And if you don't get better at it, I got you. I'm going to be on the bench. Now comes the really cool part. Now they know why they're on the bench. 
They're not on the bench because I don't like them. They're not on the bench because their mom and dad aren't in the booster club. They're on the bench because they realize they're not thinking and playing fast enough to play at the level that needs to be played. So there. There's so many really great things about coaches, especially at the high school level, because so many of them have this, this background in, in education. And so, um, you know, I always say some of the best coaches that I've ever been around weren't always the division one college coach or the, the pro coach. They were high school basketball coaches. They had a limited amount of time to work with their team, a limited amount of months to work with their team. But because they had such a, a background in the education and having a good understanding of what these kids needs from, as you mentioned, a holistic approach, it really benefits the, the players and those that do it right. It obviously leads to success. Um, you're a testament to, to that as well. With, with defense, you talked a lot about your, your strategy, the things that you emphasize. The defense is also special in another way. It can translate to other areas of life. So how do you use defense to relate life back to your team? Well, you know, me and you, we've, I mean, I know you, you know sort of my belief about that a little bit. It's like, <laughs> let, let, me, let me say, I'll start that off by saying like this. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, AAU and all that was big, five-star, everything. I mean, I, like I said, I'm old. But I'll never forget, like, playing in Gus Mackers or playing in all these things, like down in Baltimore or Washington, or just, just all over the place, Western PA or any place. I would sit there and I'd be like, um, I'd see the emphasis put on offense. And I knew I couldn't, I, I never, I always looked at our society. And one of the things that troubles me, and I'm a government teacher too, so I'm just going to keep it real. One of the things that troubles me about our society is we're, we're, a, we're a highlight generation. We're a, we focus so much on the 10 seconds of, um, of the ESPN highlight that we don't realize and the kids are losing their focus as to what's vital to be that true citizen, person that's dependent on. That is the other, that's the real major reason why as a teacher, as a father, as somebody who has to look my kids in the eyes and say, I love you. That's why I try to teach defense ultimately the way I do. You have to ask a lot out of a kid to play unselfish. You have to ask a lot of a, out of a kid to take a charge. And when I try to react, when I try, and that's one thing I love about my community. Um, my, my community is probably, it's, it's a very high, high poverty area. Um, but my kids are probably the most, they are the kids that you want. Every time we go out someplace, I, I can't tell you the amount of jobs my kids get offered. Like people are like, your kids are amazing. It's like, yeah, man, if you give my kids a chance and you really get to know my kids, like not by the standards that society right now is not understanding, but if you really get to know my kids, like my kids will amaze you daily. They really will. I, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I'm, I'm beyond blessed. And it's one of the reasons why I worry about so much of our world today. But the thing that our defense teaches if you're going to take a charge, then you're not going to let a bully do something to somebody because you're willing to stand in the way. It's, if you're going to help, like if I can convince you 
that you're not only responsible to the person you're guarding, but you're also responsible because you're on that strong side to the two other guys that are on the strong side and one of them has the ball. Then you're gonna understand what being a father is. You're gonna understand that as a dad, that, that you're gonna have to have a wife that you love, the children you have to take care of, a job that you have to work at, trash you've got to take out that day, the lawn needs mowed, that you got to make sure you call your mom or your, your dad to make sure they're doing okay, and if they need taken to the doctor's office, man, that's defense. If, if, if you learn how to stop somebody bigger than you, better than you, that everybody has told you is bigger than better than you, but yet they can't go to the basket on you, how are you ever going to be scared in a job interview? Because you're going to know your value. See, and that's why I love defense, because if I miss a shot and I'm the shooter of the team, I just shoot again. Because what does the coach tell the best shooter on the team? Shoot again. What do you tell the kid who's not the best shooter on the team who misses that shot? You don't tell him nothing. You point him out of the game and you sit him on the bench and you tell him he should have known better and take that shot. See, that's not the kind of coach I want to be. I want to give all my kids a, a shot. Now, I am going to pull my kid out if he takes a shot that we know is not is a selfish shot because that goes against our philosophy. And our whole philosophy is we are truly, at the end of the day, we are making a team that when you are going through those tough times in your life at 32 and 33, and you know this. I mean, Steve, it might have taken you until you got to the pros to know this, but there are guys that you can call on right now that you can call on, and they're there for you. And I'm going to tell you, today's game, offensively, I don't want my kid to be popular because he can score 40 points a game. I want my team to be popular. And I'll never forget that year that we, we won the lower state, which is the state semifinals. I'll never forget. One of my kids, they, they pulled him out, and they wanted him to keep talking. The media wanted him to talk about how great of a game he had and da-da-da-da-da-da. And he said, it's a team effort. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Like, he's going to give the old regular speech. It was a team effort. And he said, hey, did you see Q take that charge towards the end? Hey, did you see da-da-da? And I mean, I was like, dude, like, he's really spitting out what happened. He's like, you have to understand, we're taught to believe none of us are better here. And even when he got, like, his award at the end of the year, he's like, only reason I got this is because the other 14 I played with. That's what we need in America right now. That's what we need our children understanding. They're not privileged. They're not entitled. They are a part of the pieces that need to be out in the world today to make, just to make everything okay. And what we do in our society is we tell people what their, we, we tell people where their place is or we make them feel like their place is. And sports isn't supposed to do that. Sports is supposed to make kids feel like they can come together in all of their inadequacies and build something bigger. Not that, I always heard one, I, this is, I'll tell you this and then I'll, I'll stop about that. I used to, I went to a coaching clinic. This was back in the, probably the 90s. Nah, it was the early 2000s. And I was listening to a Big Ten coach, a very prominent Big Ten coach talk. And he was talking about how you need to hide your players. And I'm scribbling notes, and I'm like, yeah, a kid can't shoot and shouldn't be on the floor. Okay, kid can't pass, can't be on the floor. Kid can't. And I started thinking to myself, okay, kid can't shoot and can't be on the floor. 
Kid can't pass, he can't be on the floor. Kid can't, and I'm, I'm like, well, my God, I'm not going to have a single kid on the floor. Because, I mean, I coach high school basketball. Like, are you serious? I can't recruit. So I started thinking to myself, I stopped writing. I put my pencil down and I said, I got to change my philosophy. I got to stop saying what kids can't do. And I got to start focusing on what a team can do. Because, and I just put it down. And I just, I, I couldn't listen anymore. And I just feel like the more I have grown in, in, in age, <laughs> I'm starting to see that mentality be more and more of, if they can't, you just leave them out. If they can't, you just leave them out. Man, we, we can't leave people out. We need people and we need value. We need to show people what their value is. I was talking with a D1 coach last week and, and he really didn't get my question. He really didn't, if I'm going to be honest with you. And we were sitting there and I, and I said, I said, uh, and this was a higher level D1. And I, and I said, um, how has your opinion of value how did your opinion of value, value of players, change from when you were in high school to when you became a pro? Dude had no clue what I was talking about. Because of the simple fact of like, how do you value? At the high school level, the value of a player is going to be a lot bigger because the talent pool is a lot shallow, is a lot shallower. You know what I'm saying? But as you get up to like where you were at that pro level, the value becomes, you're talking about a guy with a contract and the guy's going to have to make a team budget. And you're talking about a whole different level of value. And I really wanted to, a snippet of him talking to me about it so I could take it back to my high school kids and let them see what that definition of value means. I don't know if that makes any sense, what I'm saying right there, but I mean, that that's in a nutshell it. But I, and I don't know if I did a really good job of explaining that value question, but it really, that's just something that hits home with me. I hope, I hope you understand what I'm saying there. Well, I mean, to, to rewind it, you're able to teach values so much easier through defense, I think, than offense. To get back to the, the very beginning of, because it's, there's so much about defense that is, I got your back. I got the person to my left. I got the person to my right. And we're in this, in this together. And because of defense, team defense, everybody working together, there's so much that can translate into other areas of life compared to offense. Coach, you and I both know some teams have a stud offensive player and Sometimes the best decision is, here's the basketball. Do your thing, right? And, and we'll all play defense together, but you t take us home on offense. And, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But from the teaching standpoint of carrying on to, to life, there's so much that we can learn from supporting and building off one another from the defensive end. It's fantastic. Right. And think about it. If we do that as teachers, if we do that as mentors to a kid, Imagine the pressure we put on that one kid that he is the team, that if he doesn't score, that he's the team. I mean, what kind of pressure are you putting on a kid when he becomes a father, a, a son? Uh, I mean, when, when he becomes a, a co-worker, what are you essentially teaching him? I mean, are you teaching him he doesn't need everybody? Are you teaching him? I mean, that's the kind of stuff I worry about. 
Steve. I worry about what kind of job am I doing coaching the future? Not just coaching basketball. I mean, we've been very fortunate and very lucky. I mean, you know, we've had four um, state semifinal appearances, one state championship appearance. I mean, we've won multiple region championships, tons. I think we're up to like 40, almost 50 region players of the year. We've had five or six Myrtle Beach players of the year, and we're not even in Myrtle Beach. I mean, you know, they, they don't even let us be in that poll anymore. But, but the thing is, that's not what matters. I mean, what matters is I've got kids that are, like, like I told you, the kid that called me up, and he's like, Mr. George, he's like, Coach Mez, I made $15,000 last month. I said, doing what? He's like, man, virtual training is killing it right now. Start his own business. I got kids that have started their own truck lines. I've got kids that have done, they're the heartbeat of, what a, of the American dream. And that, to me, and, I, and I'm just going to digress here for a second. That, to me, is what public education is supposed to teach us. That's why we allow sports to be in the school. Sports are supposed to teach us how to be that better person, how to make those lifelong goals. And, and, and if you do it right, I just firmly believe you're going to win more games. Let me say this. I'll say this. The best speaker I ever, 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 ever had in my life was the late Eddie Robinson, who coached at Greenville. And I was lucky in 1980-something, I'm old, 1980-something. And he got up, and it was his turn to talk in Winchester, Virginia, at the, uh, the Apple Blossom Festival. They would bring in all these Dallas Cowboys and uh, Washington Redskins. And that one day, I'll never forget, man, I was so young. And I came in, I got to meet Hector Macho Camacho that day. I'm going to say names. I don't even know if you know who these people are, Craig. You know, I didn't think so. But <laughs> it was a great box. And I got the first time I ever met Raleigh Massimino. Okay? Okay, great. There we got Raleigh Massimino. All right, good. So, you know, and, and I met Lynn Bias before the car wreck. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And I was looking at my thing going, Eddie Robinson. Like, Eddie, who is this cat? I didn't know. I didn't know anything about historical black colleges. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, he starts talking all of a sudden. The first thing out of his mouth is this stuff about American history, like being a good American. And I'm like, and I know he's going to talk about football here in a minute. He has a football coach. You know, he's going to talk about, you know, the Doug Williams, who played quarterback for him, who was the first African American. Super Bowl quarterback. None of that came out of his mouth, dude. This dude talked for an hour. And here I was like in, what, the eighth or seventh grade, and I was mesmerized. I mean, I walked out of that, um, that breakfast, and I wanted to play for this man. Not because he was some great coach. He made me feel like as an American, I had a responsibility. And my responsibility was like going to be learned playing football, basketball, baseball. And then my coach was like the person that was going to show me. And man, I got so excited. And I was just like, man, I was like, I just, I want to be a difference maker. And I, I don't want to be the captain of my basketball team because I'm the best captain. I want to be the captain because my, my teammates need me. And I'll never forget the impact this man had on me. And I, but you know what happened? I went back to my practice. And sure enough, Billy Casto got the ball and was allowed to shoot 22 times in the first quarter, first half. I came off the bench as six man. And that, during that time when I was playing, 
I was six. I didn't start because I could play center. I could play point guard. I just went wherever they needed me. I was five, ten, and nothing, but I knew how to post up. I knew how to do stuff. And the thing was, I'll never forget. My I looked at my coach afterwards, and I was like, Coach, do you ever think I'll start? He's like, Jeffrey, you're too vital to start. And I said, Sir. He said, I can put you any place. But I'll never forget. He let Billy Casto take 22 shots. So see what he was. What he told me that I was vital didn't mesh with what society saw because Billy was getting all the hype. He wasn't going out there telling everybody I was vital, but Billy get, and telling Billy to keep shooting and keep shooting. And that's when I realized that, that life's unfair. That's when I realized that sports should teach us and does need to teach us what's important. And I'll never forget, I came back and I was seventh grade coach at that team. And the number one promise I made to every seventh grader on that team was every single one of you will start a game this year because I don't know if you're going to be 6'5", six, 6'4", six, whatever, when you're a senior. Dude, I had every parent ready to call for my job by the end of that year. Thank God we won that championship this, that year. I wouldn't be talking to you now because then they hate it. I mean, it's just how it was. But I just – that's it. I, I'll, I'll shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, the, the, the fire that you speak with with – the, the relationships that you want to build, the community aspect that you try to, to, to give out to build relationships with, you know, the, the administration, the parents, the other coaches, the kids, uh, the other students in, in your school district, and then focusing on defense. And there's so many things that translate from defense into other areas of life. I mean, we're all better from this, this short conversation that, that we have. Before we finish out the podcast, I wanted to give you a chance to, to plug or talk a little bit about the jamboree that you have, the winter showcase that you have. Talk a little bit about, I mean, it, there, I'll, I'll say this, there were a couple of coaches that I was getting to know as I was moving to Myrtle Beach and neither one of them was, I was talking to at, the, at different times, but they both brought your name up. They're like, you got to connect with, with this guy. Like he's just got some, there's some cool stuff going on. You'd be a good person for him to connect with. They were obviously, they were right, but it's because you, you have some really cool thing, things going on combined with the, the passion and, and the values that you hold. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I appreciate the, the nice things. I mean, Steve, I, I firmly believe that, that, the whole thing that you look back on, it's not going to be trophies or all that. It's going to be the relationships that you make. And, you know, meeting you, seeing your passion, th those knuckleheads that you're talking about that you talk to down at Myrtle Beach, they're genuine guys because um, I'm sure I know who you're talking about. Um, they don't let their – that they coach at big schools matter that some little guy out here in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you, you just see genuine people. And, and I love basketball and I love kids. Um, but we've been blessed. You know, we have a summer league. If anyone's ever interested in, in coming, um, we run a summer league for four to six days in the summer. We've, we've been very lucky with some of the talent that, that has played here. I, I got to watch Ja when he was young, real, real young, and uh, when Crestwood would come. Uh, and I, and I, I got to watch uh, just so many, A.J. Green and, you know, kids that were at Kansas State. Now, I mean, I can't, even, I can't even begin to name all the names. But um, every year we host it, and uh, we have three gyms going at once. Now we have five um, because we have two that are 
10 minutes away from our school. Um, but the reason people really like to come in the summer, as Steve would attest, there's no internet. There's no, there's no cell phone service. <laughs> so I don't know if I want that to come or not, but <laughs> the thing is, once you come into the building, it's sort of like you got to play basketball. And it's not like your kids are going to go anyplace because you're in the middle of the cotton tobacco fields. Uh, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. But it's also close enough to everywhere. We're only, you know, we're less than an hour from Florence. We're about an hour from Charleston, about 40 minutes from, 45 minutes from uh, the beach, Myrtle Beach, uh, 35 minutes from Polly's Island, which is in the same county as us here in Georgetown. Um, so we, we do the summer league every year, and we've been very, very, very blessed with that. A um, couple NBA guys, like I said, play in that. One kid ended up playing with Oklahoma. Um, then we do our jamboree, which is the largest jamboree in the state. And we think we're one of the largest jamborees in the Southeast. Um, it's just something amazing to come see. If y'all ever want to come see basketball in the South, it's, I can't tell you enough how much fun it is. Um, and then after that, we have, uh, we're doing a Christmas tournament this year. And the Christmas tournament that we're doing is a, um, a huge tournament. Um, of all Class A teams, um, hopefully we're going to have the uh, state champs in Class A join us. They're the last team to wait north. And we're also going to have the, uh, the state runner-up is joining us. Um, I, by the time it's all said and done, we're going to have like probably eight out of the top ten teams in the state joining us. And then after that, we just do a whole bunch of other stuff. We do our own little community camps. Um, the kids come back and give back and they come help with the community camp where we teach little boys and little girls and we do a reading program. You know, there's, we're doing a girls Christmas tournament. I mean, I, I think it's funny. I'll say this and then I'll stop like this. I, mean, I was that kid when I was little that um, my friends made fun of because I was always like, when it was time to play basketball, I wanted to play, but I was like, all right, listen, let's do a tournament. All right. Like what's going to happen is, me and Matt, we're on a team, and Mark, you and Chad are over here, and then and I would have a bracket all drawn up and everything, and they were like, dude, can't we just play basketball? I was like, yeah, but you understand, it's double elimination, and we're going to crown a champion. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny now, all my friends, they call me up, and they see all the jamborees and the tournaments, and they're like, I got one who's just the biggest smart aleck. He's like, hey, man, you want to do a tournament? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Coach, that's awesome stuff. I appreciate you being on, on the podcast. Best of luck this upcoming season. Thanks again for everything and get after it. I appreciate you having me. Um, if, if any of you are just new to, to Kramer, I'm telling y'all, he's what he does is amazing. The transformations he has helped with my, my kids alone. He's just a, and a beautiful human being. Myrtle Beach, the whole, our whole area. Our whole area is just blessed to have you here. I just can't tell you that enough. And, you know, if you have not partaken in any of his endeavors, you just don't know what you're missing. And I can't thank you enough, Steve, for everything you do for us. I'm humbled that you asked me to come on. I know I rambled, but I appreciate it. I just get excited when I start talking about basketball, man. I miss it. Man, I've been locked up since March. I mean, you can't lock an Italian up for six months. That's something bad. We're all chopping at the bit. I know. I know. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks again, Coach. Yeah, man. Thanks.
thank you for listening to this episode. I mean, how awesome is the game of basketball? And how great is our responsibility as coaches? Coach Mez says it best. He says, you know, as a coach, I'm second. And there's so much value in that statement. Trying to lead through serving the other people that we are around. Simply asking others, what can I do for you? Man, there's so much value there. Special thank you to Coach Mez for spending the time with me today. If you like the Coach's Edge, you like our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating, a positive review that goes a really long way. Sharing it out with somebody else who may find it beneficial, that goes a long way. Thank you guys for the feedback in the few months that we've been doing this podcast. I also have some pretty interesting things going on. We're building a new website called The Coach's Edge. And it's designed for high school basketball coaches, a one-stop shop from player development, culture, leadership, in-season and off-season, athletic development, strength and conditioning aspect, a bunch of different things that we're building with one website that coaches can get access to. I can't wait to share it with you. If you want in, and when that first comes out, the details, hit me up at Coaches Edge one on Twitter, contact at KramerBasketball.com is the business email. Thanks again for listening and get after it today.